We will kick off today's episode with our guest speaker pitching why you should listen to our podcast and follow our journey. Let's get started, folks. The Green Roof Team's podcast is a great source of all things, you know, green energy related. And uh, it's a pretty down-to-earth way of just enriching yourself and and uh, improving your general knowledge on all things green energy, leadership, and entre- entrepreneurship as well. Welcome to an episode of Young Entrepreneurs with the Green Earth team of Southern Illinois University Carbondale. We are a cross-university team of young, innovative minds positively impacting the landscape of SIU Carbondale through promoting and installing clean energy. Here, we are highlighting our team's activities and impact through our members, sponsors, and supporters, as well as discussing a new, interesting topic. So buckle up, because we are driving to a more sustainable future. Today, we're speaking with our team member, Josh. Josh, could you please introduce yourself to the audience? Yeah. Um, hi, I'm Josh Convalinka. I'm a senior at SIU, and I am a new member with the Green Roof as of this August. Awesome. So before we dive into today's topics, could you please tell the audience where you're from? Because I'm you're from Southern Illinois, right? Actually, I was born in Peoria, Illinois. Uh, grew up in Chicago. Moved to Brazil for six years, then moved back. And then I've been here through high school, basically. So you got a good, um, you got familiar with a good part of Illinois, the north, the central, the south, and even Brazil. Yep. You want to talk a bit about Brazil, how it was, how it's a bit different than the states? Yeah, it's uh, definitely, it's, it's like a different planet, obviously. The culture is different, people are different. Just everything is different. Uh, weather is definitely different as we get into the colder months here. I like to think about my times in the warmer climates down in the south. But And not having snow? And not having snow. But I did miss snow while I was there. Um, I was reminded of snow when I had to shovel it the first year I was back. But, um, yeah, it's uh, it was nice. Um School was different. Um, the beaches, you know, being an hour away from the beach was really cool. I was on the coast, so uh, maybe three or four hours away. From a nice beach. That's awesome. Brazil, beautiful place. And we actually have a few team members from Brazil. Mm-hmm. Were you able to talk with Gustavo about where he's from and about Brazil? Oh, at length. <laughs> uh, yeah, we, he was my coach. For a while um and we we actually were in the same state so his home state of sao paulo i i actually lived in the city of sao paulo in the state of sao paulo but uh yeah i was when i lived there we were only about an hour or two away from each other in, in small world and all that awesome i know he talked a bit about taco bell but you're talking about uh, brazil <laughs> have you ever gone to a taco bell in brazil actually no um, but I will say their pizza huts are much better than our pizza huts here. Really? Oh, yeah. It's a funny thing. All the Americanized, like, um, restaurants that we have here, they take 
they take them very seriously in other countries because they have a name to, you know, to support, a name to keep. So it, the restaurants you go there are pretty bougie, you know, to most, say the least. Most definitely. I know in other countries, McDonald's, it's actually a high-end restaurant, and they serve you on actual plates yep. and silverware. It's interesting seeing how different cultures take what we're doing here and modifies it a tad bit. Yep. Talking about modifications, what took you, what brought you through your journey onto the Green Group team? Well, um, starting from the very beginning, I was in need of a research position, an undergrad research position. And I was looking around and I was offered two options by Dr. Matthias. Um, he said, hey, you know, we have a spot in the Formula One team and we also have a spot in uh, the Green Roof team, they uh, they work with a lot of, you know, green energy stuff. They just built a, a wind turbine last year. Uh, so let me know what you think. And I said, you know, Formula One is cool, but I've never really been a part of anything having to do with renewable energy sources. So, you know, I thought that'd be cool. And I, I had a connection with, the, with uh, you, Nelson. And, uh, and Zach from other things beforehand. So I figured, why not? Awesome. I know I'm enjoying every moment on the journey and even taking on, <clears throat> bringing on three others for the trash turbine project. So do you have any thoughts on the trash turbine project? Why you bought into it? Why you think it's amazing or not amazing? Well, I'm, it, the name speaks for itself, the trash turbine. Not everybody's going to, you know, think very much of it when they just hear the name, but I think when they see the finished product, especially in our, our class, uh, it's definitely going to have some weight behind it. So it's kind of like a sleeper car in a drag race, if you will. Awesome, and de most definitely I agree. So for the audience, could you describe a bit about the project? Yeah, so the Trash Turbine aims to provide a source of power for anyone affected by natural disasters that will be reliable and able to charge small electronic devices such as phones so that people can stay in contact with their family, loved ones, and even emergency services. And it needs to be accessible, which means it needs to be able to be built from things around the house such as washing machines, microwaves, and even desk fans. Cool, 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 cool. And then we're focused on areas like Puerto Rico and in the Caribbean region because they have a high wind resource. Because if you do not have wind, it's a bit hard to spin a turbine. Yeah, you're just going to have to walk outside and spin it yourself, I guess. <laughs> hey, maybe we can add in a bike feature where you connect a bike and spin the trader yeah. yeah manual mode <laughs> but yeah no that's awesome and project's been a lot of fun and especially now right now being november with us actually having the prototype iterations come to life so in the greener team are you part of any other projects going on yeah, um, I'm part of the blade section for the actual um, green roof wind turbine. Um, we've been taking a look at different airfoils recently, 
and making up 3D models of them and then testing them in a program called Cubelade. And it's been going well, learning a lot about airfoils and the different ways of analyzing them for use in wind turbines or even planes for that matter, because it is an airfoil. So. And then this is the wind turbine for the agriculture building for campus? Yes. Cool. So have you been able to take a look at the turbine from last year in person? Yes. Um, actually, the other day, I was helping out with the green roof cleanup for a little bit, and you could see it plain as day on top of the roof, just spinning. You know, it's uh, it looks really nice. I like the design that you guys went for with the uh, the blades for the horizontal, or sorry, vertical axis that you chose last year. It looks really cool. Awesome, and I believe that was also the first time you were up on the green roof. Yeah, that was the first time, and I was I was surprised. I was very much uh, I I liked what I saw basically. And I think um, this year's turbine, uh, when we get everything squared away, I think it'll do fine up there. I think it'll do great. And it's in a place where anyone walking through the agriculture grounds, building for the agriculture building, they'll see it. And it'll you know remind them about renewable energy sources. So when you first walked up onto the green roof, were you speechless? What were your thought process? seeing everything up there in person, in real life, like the past year online? Well, whenever I heard anybody say, you know, green roof this, green roof that, I was imagining planters, like, just pots filled with different plants and things. I wasn't actually expecting to see what were basically just plots of farmland on top of the roof. It was pretty darn cool. Um, and it was it was a large portion of the roof. It wasn't just any small 10 by 10 foot space it was the greater majority of that roof yeah i believe the green roof space at least the soilless medium space takes up about five thousand square foot yeah it's it's big and you know I, that's not even including the wind turbine which is on a different part of the roof entirely it's nice higher up above the green roof so you can clearly see it and it's more difficult for people to interact with it and cause any interactions but yeah no the green roof i know the first time i went up there i was speechless just like how you said like something you didn't expect to be up there like from my perspective two three years ago now it was more of hey this, we got a green roof let's go up there with the dean and just take a look at it walked up and i just i was blown away i saw it all and i saw back then it was nice and green not today right before winter hits and yeah. I, I just didn't know what to think of all of it like I didn't like I knew there's interesting projects like any project that happens it has to be interdisciplinary but the amount of engineering that had to go into constructing it and planning out and ensuring the safety of the rooftop blows my mind especially you think about how you have different loads coming in like if the rain comes in if the snow comes in how much more can it sustain before the roof caves in? And luckily, I mean, not luckily, but through the use of equations and formulas, the roof has not caved in for a good 11 years, and hopefully it'll last another 40 years, I believe, because usually they have about a 50-year lifespan. Oh, no, I think 20-year lifespan or 30. We're not even happy through the lifespan, is what I'm saying. 
I'm good. <laughs> Green Roof is here to stay for a while longer. Yep. And so with the wind turbine, do you see the greater impact happening on campus from installing the wind turbine and from our social media campaigns and interactions with students? Yeah, it's, it's like I said before, it's not only a way to generate power, um, but it also acts as a monument to just the whole subject of renewable energy sources. And it, if you speak to anyone that walks by the agriculture building, it's plain to see it's red. You can see it. It, it stands out against all the greenery. So, you know, other places such as bus, <coughs> excuse me, such as bus stops are, you know, they're a great way of adding more turbines. And I'm sure when people see the green roof turbine, they might think, hey, you, that's, you could probably put that on a house. You could put that on a bus stop. You could put that on, heck, anything that's stationary, maybe even things that move around. You just got to secure it better. So maybe on buses or trains. Who knows? I know I've seen small-scale wind turbines on highways, popular highways. So as cars pass by, yep. the drag force can help spin the blades in, generate small-scale power. Yeah, and that, that's probably got to spin pretty fast. You know, if you got, what, 50 cars passing by at 70, 80 miles an hour, you know, if you, uh, well, let's just say 70 miles an hour, um, that's, you're going to get some pretty good power out of that just as a, as a byproduct of it. So it's a good idea. And I know that's my favorite part about renewables is you're using an energy source that otherwise would be wasted. Yep. So in Brazil, did you see a lot of renewables out in play? Because I know in the early 2000s, there was a movement towards small-scale power in developing countries, but that was mainly, I know I've seen case studies in Cuba and some African countries, but did you see any in Brazil? Yeah, so the city of Sao Paulo, which I lived in for six years, that's where I, I didn't really move out of there. Um, it is one of the biggest cities in the world population-wise. Um, so to say that I got a good view of the entire city or state for that matter, much less even the country, is that's, you know, I, I can't say that. So I what I did see was not um, characteristic of probably what Brazil had to offer at the time. And I was a lot younger, so I probably wasn't looking out for it much. But I did not see as much um, push for renewables there. Um, but that was a couple, that was, what, going on 10, 16 years from right now. So I'm sure it's changed. But... Um, when I was on the beaches and stuff, you could definitely see there were there were oil rigs off the coast and stuff. And they have, as a country, they have a large um, oil industry. They send a lot of people up here to get engineering degrees for petroleum and all that. So um, I'm hoping that in the future they take advantage of um, what they have as a country in their natural resources not um, non-renewable, but renewable, definitely, and take advantage of that and harness that untapped energy source for them as a country.
Awesome. <clears throat> and do you have any thoughts on... Have you ever heard of countries who are energy debtors and creditors? <coughs> yes, I have. I, uh, I believe we were having a conversation a couple weeks ago about, I can't, was it Singapore? That uh, they don't have enough space to build their uh, industry for energy. So they're actually buying it from Australia who has put forth some of the area for Singapore to build solar farms for them. And then they pay Australia a little bit for basically what is renting their land and they get their energy. Um, I think it's a cool idea and it's a great way for people that don't have the natural resources, such as just having the space to do it, to participate in making the earth a little bit more green. Yeah, because at the end of the day, we're all living on the same planet. Yeah. It's not like if you make arbitrary borders, it kind of keeps anything out. Yeah. One issue with sustainability-wise is pollution traveling across borders and how you control that. But, yeah, going back to countries or creditors and debtors, the concept, at least from a sustainability perspective, is... Some countries like the United States are debtors who consume more than they have on their land. Then countries like Canada are creditors because they have more resources than what they consume. So in the end of the day, it comes down to are we as a world producing more and being more creditors or debtors in the net scheme of it all? Net scheme of it all. Sort of like energy management. But with all that data, that's how they create the... I forgot the actual name of it. The uh, Oh, I think it's called uh, the slingshot date. And it's the idea of it's a date on the calendar where we begin consuming more than we can produce in a year, mm-hmm. in a year's time. So, so if you take a look at, well, if you think about it in terms of money, you make an annual salary, yep. let's say, and you have expenses, you have bills to pay. So it becomes when your bills exceed what you make in that year, and you have to go into the savings to be able to go net. So that date keeps getting pushed forward because we're consuming more than we can produce. And that leads to the conversation of, we're using, I believe, two and a half Earth worth of resources every year nowadays, compared to 1960, where it was the baseline of, in that year, we used a full year's worth of resources. Then every year since 1960, we've been getting using a bit more on an average. And that is not sustainable. And the big question that geography majors are trying to solve. So wrapping up thoughts on the Green Earth team, do you have any thoughts on the team Karamrdi and how we collaborated co- and how we collaborated over this past semester? Now being in year two, yeah, um, it was interesting being online for you know most of the meeting. Um, of course, we have to get used to that now, but um, it seems like it's working fine. Everybody does their work. 
Um, I've met tons of new people. I've reconnected with a couple that I thought I wasn't going to see again. Gustavo, I'm talking about you. And Olivia as well. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it's a great way to meet people and build relationships as a team. Uh, one person sticks out in my mind um, in specific, and that's Ichiro. You know, I, he's a great guy. Talked with him a little bit over the phone after the meetings. Cool dude. Uh, working towards his future just like the rest of us, putting in the hours, putting in the work. And uh, it's, it's great to see other people that have similar interests, such as I and, you know, other people. Awesome to hear. I actually didn't know you and Ichiro were um, communicating. It's super cool because he's actually down in Florida, quite a, quite a far away. <laughs> yeah, that's almost like half a country's uh, distance away. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. Um, so before we go into your amazing story, do you have any other thoughts on the Grinner team you'd like to share with the audience? Yeah, um, you know, no matter where you are in the country or in the world, if you want to um, contribute to a project such as the Green Roof Team, just reach out. You know, it, it, we're in, what what is it, 2021? Sometimes I forget. But yeah, it, it, you know, the infrastructure is there. You can maintain communication with different groups and different projects. If you want to make a difference, just reach out. There's people that want you to help. Yeah. Awesome to hear. So, Josh, I heard you have a story for us today. Yep. So, everybody uh, sit back and uh, get ready for this doozy. It's not really a doozy, but it was for me. Um, I want to say back in 2016, <clears throat> I I was still in the Boy Scouts of America. That's, that's a big group. It's well known in the United States. Um, and it's aim is to give youth members um, experience in leadership and other just a plethora of different skills like backpacking, camping, even basket weaving. Um, but uh, yeah, I was, I was a senior member of my, of my uh, troop and we decided to go on a backpacking trip across um, a lesser traveled area in Yellowstone. Um, and let me tell you, man, it is, it is absolutely beautiful over there. If you've never been, uh, I, I still dream about going back there sometime, but, uh, yeah, so we were given the opportunity to backpack through an area of about 60 to 70 miles, uh, round trip to a small valley and lake in a very remote portion of the park. Um, and it was a great experience. You know, we had highs and lows, just like any experience, any journey that you have. Um, and part of that is just learning how to function by yourself. Because, you know, everybody in the team is going to have issues throughout something like that. And they're... Uh, they're going to be disputes and disagreements and it's about how you solve that and how you continue on from those that really makes your experience a worthwhile one so i learned on that trip um a bit more about myself and 
how to just function independently. Um, just because, you know, I was put in a situation that I kind of had to think for myself. And it turned out all right. And I learned from it. Other people learned from it. And we were all able to learn in one of the best classrooms that you can be in. I know it sounds cheesy, but man, it was it was pretty. Um, and it was a great experience. It was a great time. Uh, learned a lot about scaring bears away. That was that was a big part of it. I was kind of scared about that at one point. What kind of techniques did you guys use? Oh, you just make a heck of a lot of noise whenever you're walking. You know, if you got to go use the restroom, just you know, just bang a couple pots together while you're walking. Just yeah, that's all it takes. And don't run if you see a bear. <laughs> don't run. Don't run, no, because they'll want to chase you like a dog. Yeah. So if you're confronted with a bear, what's the best way to handle it? Um, if it's non-aggressive, just kind of back away slowly. Don't, like I said, don't run. Don't really turn your back to it, but don't <laughs> like look at it. Just kind of just sit there, acknowledging it's there, but don't do anything unless it tries to make a move. Um. And if you're if you're in a situation like that, um, you're you're normally going to have a guide with you who's going to have the proper equipment to deal with something like that, like bear mace. Um, but yeah, just don't run from the bear. Time out. There's special maze just for bears. Yeah, bear maze. It's like it's like regular maze, but really concentrated, you know, because it's a big animal. Awesome. Cool. Cool. And it sucks when it goes off in your tent. True. <laughs> Just a tad bit. Yeah. So how was work how was backpacking with the other guys? It was cool. Um I was part of a team and our objective was just to make the um make it to the different landmarks every day. And, you know, uh, there were different obstacles like going down cliffs with really thin paths, um, going across little streams. Um, although it was the summer, it got really cold and there was some frost on the ground at some point. So, you know, got to dress for the, the weather, um, keep yourself warm. But it was just like any other team that you're part of. You know, everybody brings something new to the table. And you support each other when you're in your lows. And when everybody's working together, you just, it's crazy how, how much you can get done. Um, another thing that I learned there really was you put your slowest team member in the front. That way nobody gets left behind. You know, you go at the slowest pace. So everybody's on the same page. I think that's a great idea because... A team is only as strong as its weakest link, and if everybody's supporting that weakest link, then you know it's pretty hard to fail. But if you do fail, you can always, you know, pick yourself back up. Um, and it definitely helps if you have a good team dynamic. 
going before you get into something like that, which I had with a lot of the members there because they were in my troop and we had been through service projects together. A couple of them helped me. Um, they helped me out on my Eagle Scout project. You know, I like great guys, but there are also some new people too. Some people that tagged along from other troops around the area or in other parts of the country. They all just, you know, mashed us into one big group and we were all the better, better for it. So combining groups with folks you have never met before, how did the dynamic change, or were you guys in your own little silos? Um, at the beginning, we were all in our little cliques. You know, Troop Seventy Seven stayed with people from Troop Seventy Seven, and people from California stayed with people from California. But eventually, you know, we were kind of forced to branch out. In situations like that, it's kind of hard to stay sequestered. Um, you're either going to be cleaning utensils for like cooking utensils with them. You're going to be getting water with them, hanging a bear bag with them, you know, throwing them the toilet paper when they need toilet paper. So it's a difficult situation to stay, you know, separate. Well, I, it went well. Um, I don't, I don't really talk to any of the guys that I met from uh, the other troops, but I'm friends with them on Facebook, so. Awesome. <laughs> Facebook's actually changed their name to Meta, I believe. Yeah, yeah, I I don't know too much about that, but I have heard that. Some changes are good. So, with the entire trip as a whole, was there an underlying lesson that you took away from it? Yeah. Um, even if it doesn't seem like you have enough time to do something, some things are worth making the time for. Um, this backpacking trip in particular was right at the end of summer and I was going to miss a couple of the first weeks of my senior year in high school so it was worth it you know awesome to hear well Josh before we wrap up for today is there anything else you'd like to add to the audience uh hope everyone's day is doing well, uh, if I don't see you, good morning, good afternoon, and good night. And with that, we conclude our episode of Young Entrepreneurs with the Green Roof Team. Special thanks to your sponsors, the SIU Research Park, Energy at SIU, SIU Sustainability Office's Green Fund Grant, the University Innovation Fellows, CH Electrical, Entertech, RAS Coatings, AES Solar, Sprag Supply Group, H&F Visions, Silvix Forestry and Nursery, Nether Chance Studios, Climate Economy Action Network, and many more. And please visit our website for more information and follow us on social media. Stay sustainable, folks.